turn your attention to verses 26 through 30 in the book of Romans chapter 8. And if you're home, get your Bible. Stand up and follow as we honor and reverence the word of God. Likewise, the spirit also helps our infirmities. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered. For he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might, that he might be the first among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined they he also called, whom he called, he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, in the powerful name of Jesus, we surrender afresh to you. Have your way, Holy Spirit. May we not restrict what you want to do. We surrender right now, O oh God. We are presenting ourselves as living sacrifices. Be our, may our offering be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We thank the Lord for being in his house again today. Now, if I even thought for a moment, that I could effectively exegete the passage that I just read for you in one setting, not only would I be very frustrated, but you would also. There's no way the, the depth of this passage uh, in the book of Romans is probably the one that has the most treasure in it theologically. And so we're not going to delve deep into uh, all of the verses, but we will, um, we will unpack portions of the scripture that I know God will use to bless you. As I watched television, I was astonished to see a pregnant woman being brought out of a hospital that she had not only prepared to give birth in, but was using as a shelter in Ukraine, covered with her own blood, holding her stomach as she was carried away on a stretcher. My heart dropped and I thought to myself, things have got to get better. As we have all observed for the past two weeks, six weeks actually, some two million children forced out of their homes, many separated from their parents, 
and had become orphans because of the war that was initiated by Putin, the dictator of Russia, I thought to myself, for these poor children and their parents, things have got to get better. When I read the article about a 48-year-old son who attacked his 67-year-old father, I didn't want to believe what I was reading, but it was true that the father felt so threatened that he actually shot his 48-year-old son in the lake. His son was able to wrestle the gun away from his father, who was firing at him in self-defense. He turned that same gun on his father and shot him in his head. When I read about that and thought about the evilness of that act, I thought things have got to get better. While we slowly make our way through the COVID-19 pandemic and we see the light at the end of the tunnel, in reflection, we have witnessed some 974,000 American souls who have been taken out of this world. Many are, for some, family members and friends that are no longer with us because they have been snatched down by COVID-19. I thought to myself, things have got to get better. Let's not talk about the food and the gas prices that people are complaining about. While the same people are packing out the malls and spending money like it grows on trees. You go down the Christiana Mall, you're talking about inflation and, and recession, and you would never know that money was an issue. And I thought to myself, things have got to get better. As I reluctantly watched the part of the Oscars, the Oscar Awards, hearing women actresses announce to the world their alternative sexual practices and preferences, I realized that it's no longer cool to stand and say, I am unashamedly a heterosexual male who loves women or a heterosexual woman who loves men, that ain't cool no more. You might not get the job. And I said to myself, things have got to get better. You may be whatever you want to be. God will address that, but why do you need to make me know that? You talk about a slap in the face. Last but not least, the slap that was heard around the world. When I first saw Will Smith slap Chris Rock, I thought it was a stunt. 
But having seen it on television as the lead story on every news cycle three or four times for the past seven days, I now feel like I'm being slapped by the hypocrisy of those that are making a fortune from the misfortune of others. Why do we have to keep seeing that? What purpose does that serve? It does keep us going back. I thought to myself, things have got to get better. Wouldn't it be nice if Christians were as offended about what Will Smith did to Chris Rock as God is when we willfully disobey his word. We are slapping God in the face. Does that offend you? Does what God call an abomination, does that feel like a slap in God's face to you? How about if Christians spend more time talking about Jesus as comfortably as we did talking about Will Smith and Chris Rock how many folks do you think might get saved if we spend more time talking about Jesus and less time talking about who slapped who? I'm not surprised by that because of the times that we're living in. This has been happening, and this is, again, can you top this? But the important thing as we turn our attention to the word of God is that God is getting slapped in the face. And while it may not prick our consciences, God is appalled and offended when we are willfully disobedient to his word. And I believe that as you remain sensitive in the spirit through prayer and, and receiving his word and living in obedience, you will have a, a, a level of discomfort about the things that make God's, the Holy Spirit, grieve. The Holy Spirit is grieved when Christians spend more time talking about who slapped who than we are about the Jesus who took our place on the cross. In Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30, the Apostle Paul writes about the character of God and the consequences of sin. The book of Romans is really about the character of God, the righteousness of God. But he zeroes in on two positional statuses or where we are as Christians from God's perspective, if we never did anything else, this is already accomplished for us in God through Jesus. And the first thing that he talked about our spiritual position is in Romans verse, chapter 8, verse 1. He said, there is therefore no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we can never be judged again for our sin. Salvation is secure. We can't lose it no more than we could do anything to gain it. That's positionally true of every Christian. We stand complete in our salvation because of the finished work of Jesus. 
And then he talks about the liberation that we have through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has already set us apart. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit residing in us as a result of us placing trust in the finished work of Jesus. We have, we have all been baptized into the same spirit as Christians. We are part of the same body through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We are all one, though many. And so positionally, I have no more condemnation. Positionally, I have liberation. And the liberation that comes through the setting apart, the sanctifying ministry of the Holy Spirit, enables me to live victorious over sin. I have already in Christ conquered sin. But when the Apostle Paul comes to verse 16, when he says, uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children, the sons and daughters of God, he shifts from our positional standing in Christ to our practical responsibility. And he says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons. So I have been already forgiven and never will be judged for my sin, but the proof that I've been forgiven and won't stand before God to be judged is that I'm led by the Spirit to put to death every day the flesh that wants to be resurrected. And so in, the, in, in, in that vein, the Apostle Paul moves into verse 18. He says, we, we, we have been adopted. We call God our Abba Father. We call God Daddy. We have this intimate relationship. In the tense of the, 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 the verb of how we call God, this is something that is continually happening in light of my position. I am practicing the, the intimacy with God by calling him every day as a son would call his dad. And then he says, by the way, while we are in this current world situation, in verse 18, he says, for I consider that the suffering, the suffering of this present time, the war in Ukraine and other places are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. And so with the Apostle Paul in this, in the practical responsibility side of how we live out what we already are, he who began a good work in us will perfect it. The work has already been completed. That is, Jesus living in me wants to live through me as I work out my own soul. I'm working out what God has already worked in. You can't work out what hasn't been worked in. And so... What makes it difficult for me to operate under the control, under the direction of the Holy Spirit is what Paul calls these present sufferings. There's trouble in the world. I don't know if you knew that, but there are problems in the world. And, and those problems are not just temptation. Somebody just said it's life. Now, what he does in this section of Scripture, he gives us three things that we need to know as he shifts from positional to practical responsibilities. The first thing he, he shares with us in verse 18 is how Christians should view problems, how we should view suffering and the pain that it causes. How should we look at what's going on in Ukraine? 
How should we look at what's going on at the border where people from Mexico and other places in South America are trying to come here and find a place where they're safe, where they can work? How do we look at human suffering, what's going on in Philadelphia, killing field? How do we look at that? And so he talks about how we should understand suffering and the pain it causes. Then he talks about in verses 19 through 25, he talks about why we can be positive in light of all that is going on by way of suffering. Why Christians, he gives us four reasons why we can be positive in spite of the suffering that is going on. And then finally, he gives us in verses 26 through 30, he tells us what to do. He gives us three things that we can be doing as you are watching in real time people being gunned down, buildings blown to the ground, people crying and being starved. And what can we do? What should our response be? And so I want to talk about those three things. Can we do that? Well, I won't do it anyway. Amen. Praise the Lord. How should Christians think about what Paul, under the inspiration, superintending of the Holy Spirit, calls present time suffering and the pain that it causes? The first thing he says, for I consider when I think about, when I ponder, when I evaluate and analyze what is going on by way of the difficulties that believers and people in general experience, but particularly Christians, he says, the suffering of this present time doesn't compare. But I, I want you to know that Paul said, I'm thinking about this. I, I have been brought to a place of coming to a conclusion as I have been directed by the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing that we gain from that statement where Paul says, I'm thinking about suffering and what it causes is that we need to accept the reality of suffering and the pain it causes while we're in the world. We need to accept that suffering is real. It's real. It's real. Somehow we want to blame God. I just looked at the news today. Six people killed in San, uh, Sacramento. Five murdered, uh, gunned down, six injured, gun, you know, gun battle. Who, is that God? Mm. It's not God. We'll see that. But the important thing is to accept the reality that suffering and pain it's real. We are not exempt as Christians because we are in a world that has been cursed because of sin. Jesus actually said, in the end times, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Fathers will be against sons and sons against fathers. Daughters will hate their mothers and mothers will hate their daughters. There will be earthquakes in diverse places famine and pestilence, disease and death. And then he says, beware because of such a time where you think not, the Son of Man will return because he's coming back. He says, I'm coming back as a thief in the night. But pay attention to the signs. And so accept the fact that suffering and the pain it caused, it's a reality, but it didn't take God by surprise. Jesus added to his, he said to his disciples, he told them, he said, while you are in the world, I don't care how sanctified and saved you are, you will experience trials and tribulations. But he said, be of good cheer. 
For I have, I have overcome the world, and in him we are more than conquerors because he is for us. And since he is, who can effectively stand against us? God is not surprised by the problems, the troubles, the sufferings, the wars. He predicted it. Question is, are you believing his report or CNN's report? Here's the second thing that we need to understand about how to view the pain, the pain of suffering in the world. We need to expect suffering to be limited and temporary. Limited and temporary. He says the suffering of this present time, present time, there is a time that it started and there's a time that God has already predetermined when it's going to stop. Are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. And so we need to expect that the suffering that we experience, it didn't come to stay, it came to pass. This too will pass. We need to understand that whatever you're going through, that God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But with every temptation, I will make a way for you to escape that you may be able to bear. He says to Job, he said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, well, you put a hedge of protection around. You remove that. The truth is that God has put a hedge of protection around all of us. And sometimes he'll move the hedge of protection back. But the purpose of the the moving of the hedge is to strengthen us, not to destroy us, to test us to grow us, but I can look at problems and suffering differently because I know that the enemy can't do any more to me than God Almighty allows. That's why the Bible says, don't fear him who's able to destroy your body, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both body and soul and then cast you into a Christless eternity called hell. Expect troubles to be limited. Expect them to be temporary no matter what you're going through. The worst that man can do is help you to get to heaven earlier. The question is, are you prepared? Are you really looking for your heavenly home? Do you understand that this world is not our home? We are pilgrims that are passing through. When I was in college, I wanted to pledge a fraternity in in order for pledge, and it really determine which one you want to pledge, uh, the different representatives from Q and Alpha and those, you know, all of them, they would come, and there was, you had to go through what was called a freshman initiation dog line. It lasted seven days. I wasn't really sure if I, was supposed, if I wanted to really pledge, but I wanted to check it out because I was scared that they were going to find out that I really wouldn't supposed to be in college. <laughs> <laughs> they found me out, and they're going to boot me out. So I said, I'm gonna, I'll do it seven days. So I accepted the fact that I was giving these big brothers from various campuses, from various fraternities, seven days to get me up at any time at night, to keep me up as late as they wanted, to have me clean their room, to get their food, 
and to do their homework while not doing my own. But most importantly, they got to abuse us every night. We all got bowed in the chest every night. They have sense enough to know you can give somebody a heart attack like that. And we also had the, the privilege of every night before we could go in, we had to bend over and get the largest sneaker in the line. And they got to strike us three times with a sneaker. If you've ever experienced that, you can appreciate that that's not something that sane people do. The guy that was the leader of the dog line, he, got, he chose to be the leader. He, whatever we got, he got twice. Now, how would I, a college student, agree to something like that? Well, I accepted that there was going to be some suffering for seven days. I didn't fully understand the nature. That, that was just a part of what we went through. I accepted, but the reason why I accepted it, because I expected the suffering to be temporary and limited. And then at the end of my suffering, if I could just walk across the line, <laughs> Soreness and all, my friends would be able to say and celebrate with me because I conquered the initiation of the freshman dog line. And now I was one of, I was, I was one, I would be one of the cream of the crock. The fraternities would want to pick me because I allowed myself to be abused for seven days. Now I don't know if you pledged. But seven days doesn't compare with the average pledgee is subjected to. And for us who made up our mind that we're going to do it, even though we went through all kinds of pain, we understood from the beginning that the suffering was going to be temporal, it was going to be limited, that suffering was a part of it, even though they didn't tell us the whole story, because we had a goal in mind. Well, the same thing ought to be true when you get saved. When Paul says, I want to identify with the, with the Lord Jesus Christ by knowing him in the power of his resurrection. And here's the other part. To be identified in the fellowship of his suffering. I'm willing to take it for Jesus. I'm willing to take a lick for Jesus. When you understand, the first thing is that suffering in this world is a part of the job description. You're not going to be exempt. Paul also talked to me. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. The enemy may cause you to suffer blows and knock you on the campus, but he will never knock you out. I like how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 through 18. He said, for our light momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. So we fix our eyes not on what we can see, because everything that we see is passing away, but that which is unseen, the reward that awaits us, is eternal in heaven and will be revealed when God gives us the gift of glorified bodies. So the first thing, when we look at what's going on, we need to understand God is not shocked. God is not surprised. Oh, we should be, we should be concerned about it. We should want something to happen about it. 
But expect it, and it's going to be what Paul says. It doesn't compare to what awaits us. It doesn't compare to what awaits us. Somebody say amen. Now, why should you maintain a positive point of view when you consider how high the gas prices are? When you feel like in the grocery store, somebody is saying, stick them up. <laughs> you buy three items and you're going into bankruptcy. How can you maintain a positive attitude when there are people who are actively trying to overthrow the democracy of this country? And no rules seem to apply to them. How do you maintain a positive attitude? How do you handle a rebellious teenager or a wayward husband who doesn't care what the Bible says, who ain't going to church, who ain't praying with you, not interested in counseling? You go to counseling. You crazy. You find yourself unable to sleep at night, and they're sleeping like Smokey the Bear, like they... They never had a concern or a care in the world. You done bit your fingernails down to, the, to your knuckles, and theirs seem to be growing where yours have been gone. What do you do when you prayed and God hasn't heard? He hasn't changed your situation. Why should you look forward to a positive outcome? when what you're praying about is hell in your daily experience. Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 19. He says, for the earnest expectation, the sincere, eager expectation of the creation diligently waits for the revealing of his son, the sons of God, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God did it in hope. Because of the creation itself, it also will be delivered. Creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation is groaning. The first time the scripture says groaning, this groaning that creation is echoing into the ears of God, is unspoken, it's silent, it's inaudible. So remember, groaning is not, you don't go out and hear the trees say, help me! The trees and the grass and the sun are not saying that. But there's a groan that goes up to heaven that God hears. And the labor, for we know that the whole, whole of creation it groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we even ourselves groan. And so they talk, the Scripture talks about an internal voice that is going from our corruptible bodies that is emanating into heaven. And God hears my body hurts today. God hears my body's tired today. God hears that what he said was good ain't so good now. God hears a groaning that is uttered to him, and we never say a word. Now, we need to understand that because some people say this groaning is, an, is, is a heavenly language. No, the heavenly language is not something that you verbalize. It's something that your flesh is speaking to the Lord in the spirit realm. And we labor with birth, as birth pains together, or even now. And then he says, within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption the redemption of our bodies, for we were saved in this hope. 
but hope that is seen is not hope. For why would why would why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await with perseverance. Say perseverance. He gives four reasons why we should have a positive outlook in the midst of all this going on with climate change. And I think about my grandchildren and what, the, what we've left for them. There ain't no climate change. Why, we gotta, why can't we use plastic bags? It would be wrong to put a plastic bag over somebody's face, wouldn't it, just to give them a See, that they're just suffocating the world. I'm not saying that this the point. Why we got to get It's so inconvenient. I don't want to get no, no, no muffler on my car. Just let the smoke, let the, okay. Mm. Here's the first reason. Here's why I can be positive about what is ahead for the believer. He talks about, he said, the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing of the sons of God gives us a positive view of the future. This revealing of the sons of God is, you know, these reveal parties to, to, to announce the, the, the sex of the, of the child or the gender of the child. There's going to be a reveal party for the sons and the children of God. That's a generic word for children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 talks about it. it says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it does not yet appear. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we will, but what we shall be is like him. For when he returns, we shall see him as he is. There's going to be a reveal party. The Bible says that the trumpet of God is going to sound. And the dead in Christ are going to be raptured and snatched up in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And this corruptible flesh shall take on incorruption. This mortal body shall take on, you're talking about a reveal party. The, the sons and daughters of God are going to be revealed when we are taken back to heaven to be like Jesus. In his glorified body, the dead that we placed in the ground will be caught up. Their physical bodies will be reunited with their spirits that, were, that are currently present with the Lord. For it to be absent from the body means that we are present with the Lord. And so there's going to be a reveal. I'm looking forward to the day. Paul said, I've already, I'm already been poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is near. I'm not mad about it. My bags are packed. I'm, in fact, I'm kind of excited about why. Because I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. I run the way. He says, prepared for me is a reveal party. A reward is prepared for me, not just me, but for all of them who love and look forward to his coming. There's going to be a reveal party for the saints. And so we can look past all of this for that day when we'll be caught up to meet the Lord. Here's the second reason. The release of all of creation from, should give us hope. Say release. He says, for the creation was subjected, placed in bondage, Caused to 
be restricted from what God intended when he created the earth in Genesis chapter 3, verse 3, he said, and, it was, and all that God made was good. But after sin, God said that the earth would be cursed. And so right now, as the most beautiful place you know of in the world doesn't compare to what the garden looked like. And so the world, the created universe, has the vantage point of what it once was, the before and after. The before was better than the after. And so he's saying that all of creation was subjected to futility. The futility that the scripture talks about is that, the, that creation is no longer able to fulfill the purpose for which God designed it because of sin. And so the climate don't work the way it's supposed to work. Pregnancies were never supposed to be hard the way women have to go through labor. It wasn't supposed to be like that. And so the futility of the earth is now that what we have, we got people driving cars as boats and boats being used as cars. We all, we got it all confused. The purpose for which God created the earth is not being fulfilled. But one day, listen, it says that the earth that is subjective is going to be set free. The scripture says that because the creation itself also will be delivered out, out from bondage of the corruptible into a glorious liberty in, in, in the same way that the glorious liberty awaits those of us who are going to be the, the, the revealed sons, the earth is going to be, re, what's going to happen is this corruptible earth is going to take on a state of incorruption. Let, you don't believe me. Let, me. let me share with what the apostle Peter says. He says, therefore, since all these things, your house, your car, your money, your status, your credentials, he says, since all these things are going to be dissolved, burned up, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening to the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, will be burned. And being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. He said, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look forward to what? A new heaven and a new earth which dwells in righteousness. So the Lord says, I am going to release this creation that is groaning like a mother who is in labor, just wanting to have itself released from the subjective, what has been subject to, Due to the result of Adam and Eve's Adam's sin, creation is in labor. Creation is in pain. Creation is crying out to God. But one day, creation will be released. Here's the third thing. You still with me? Say redemption. The scripture says for the redemption of the birth, redemption from the birth pains that delay our full, full adoption in verses 23 through 23. Stay with me. For we know that the whole of creation groans, whole of creation groans, and labors with the pains together until now. We all are laboring. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruit, we have the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, the first fruit of what God is going to ultimately fulfill when we are in his presence will be removed. Not, we're not only delivered from the power, the guilt, 
uh, and, and consequences of sin, we will ultimately be removed from the presence of sin. And so he talks about, he says, we have the first fruit. The evidence that that's going to happen is that the Holy Spirit was deposited into us. He lives in us. That's the first fruit. That's the earnest payment from God. You know how you make a down payment on the car that says you're coming back to, pay, to finish paying for it? And if you don't, guess what? You lose your money. You all know that, right? Mm-hmm. But we also have the first fruit, even as we also are grown. He said, our so he said, eagerly waiting the adoption and the redemption of our body. What he's saying is, the moment you got saved, the Holy Spirit was depositing your life. That made us the first, that was the first down payment or the evidence of God going to complete what he started. And so at the moment he saved us, we were adopted into the family of God. The paperwork was completed by the shed blood of Jesus, signed and sealed. But the full adoption experience won't occur until our redemption happens in heaven. And so we ain't home yet. So you can go adopt a kid. You can do all the paperwork. But until you take the child home and you have them as your own, the, the adoption's not complete. And so what you're saying is redemption for the adoption that's been delayed is coming in the future. And so we can look forward to what God started when he deposited the Holy Spirit in us. It's going to be complete when we are in his presence and we no longer longer are struggling with the bondage of sin. I'm rejoicing because even though I'm currently adopted, I can call him Abba Father, but one day, Jesus, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and where I am, you will be there also, that we're going to ultimately be in the presence of God, not just in spirit, but these mortal bodies. And so the full adoption is on delay until we are ushered into the very presence of the Lord. So we have that to look forward to. Here's the final thing we have to look forward to. We saw that the release of creation, we saw that not only the release of creation, but the revealing of the sons of God, but the final thing is the reliance on the promise of God. He says, when you rely on the promises of God in verses 22 through 24, actually, uh, uh, in verses uh, 24 and 25, he says that, but if we, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And so he, what he says is, I'm, I can look forward to the future because I'm relying on the promise of God. I'm relying on the promise. What is the promise of God? He, he's, we have a hope, and hope means that I have a confident expectation that whatever God says he's going to do, He's going to do it. So I'm relying. I'm persevering. I'm going through all of this because I know what God said about coming back to get me and restoring me and redeeming me. All of that's going to happen because everything that God has always said he would do, he has done. And so I can look at suffering and pain through the fact that I'm relying. Here, let me finish with this. What should you do? when present-day suffering makes it hard to wait on a better tomorrow. And I'm not going to read the verses where it talks about how the Spirit himself makes an intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered because we don't always know what we should pray for and how the Spirit knows the mind of God and all things work together for the good. And who we pre- All of that's there. Here are three things that we can do while you're dealing with everything that's going on. First, the thing that you can do is pray even when it hurts so bad that you don't know what to say. The scripture says that the Spirit himself make of intercession for us 
with groanings. The groanings are not tongues. The groaning is an inaudible message that is communicated through our groanings, through our utterings, through our murmuring, with words that we can't. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray for. All we can do is lay there and moan. The Holy Spirit knows what we want to say because he is going to always pray according to the will of God because he knows the mind of God. So pray when you're hurting and you don't know what to say. Keep on praying because the Holy Spirit is making intercession. The second thing is grow deeper in your love with the Lord. We know that all things work together for the good of them who love God. The condition for all things working together for your good is that you are growing in your love relation with the Lord. If you are an obedient, disobedient, all things aren't working for your good. Well, I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. Who love God, who are called according to his purpose. You're living in obedience to his word. And so what we ought to be doing is what the pandemic should have done for us is deepen our prayer life. It should have deepened our desire for the love of God. It should have deepened our want and desire to get back to church. It should have deepened our desire to understand that the end is near. You ought to be growing deep in your love for the Lord. Final thing, be obedient by conforming to the, to the image of Christ. Be obedient by conforming to the image of Christ. He said, who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed. All of this is about that the Lord is allowing to happen. He wants us to be clones of Jesus that we should be becoming more and more like Christ. And so what do you do in the presence of suffering and pain? Surrender to the word, to, to let this mind be in you that was in also, also in Christ Jesus. Become more like Jesus. Become more like Jesus. Be obedient by conforming to the image of Christ, by growing deeper in your love for him, and by praying even when it hurts. Stand with me. I know that was a heavy doctrinal sermon. But that's all right. That's all right. You can listen to it again, and it'll bless you again. God wants us to look at suffering and pain differently. And he's given us a word in the scriptures to show us how to look at suffering. If you try to understand it from what the world is saying, you will be depressed. You will be discouraged. You will begin to question the faithfulness of God. But when you see it from his perspective, better days are coming. Somebody say, better days are coming. Say it like you mean it. Better days are coming. Let's pray. Father, we bless you today. Lord, we know that pain is not only real. It it hurts. It frightens us. Sometimes it causes us to doubt you. Sometimes, oh God, instead of the, the troubles that you allow to come our way to draw us closer to you, we find ourselves turning to other things. Some have turned to alcohol during this pandemic. Some have turned to prescription drugs. Some have joined themselves in ungodly relationships. Some are following conspiracy theories. 
Father, many have just lost their way. Father, I pray that you would take the word that was shared today and that you would use your word to be a compass to those, oh God, who have drifted. Father, I pray right now that this would be a word that would encourage parents who are struggling to know how to handle wayward children. Father, I pray that you would teach us that we can be different in our workplace because a better day is coming. Now, God, we ask that you would take this word and that you would bring someone to a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As you remain standing, do you have a personal